Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Um, Today, we are going to be diving into, I don't know, is it a current topic? It's a current church topic of maybe some debate, some back and forth, controversy, mm-hmm. he said, he said type, mm-hmm. of, type of thing uh, that's been going around the internet the last couple weeks. Couple weeks. Yeah. I um, mean, yeah. This specific, this specific one, but the, the, uh, the controversy surrounding some of the characters involved is longer. Yeah. That, it's nothing so. particularly new. Um, so, uh, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of this until yesterday, until you brought it to my attention. It had escaped my eagle eye uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of what's going on in the church world. And um, so do, how do we want to frame it? Well, um, that's a good question. Because I would like to give... Even though I have my own thoughts and perspectives, I would like to give an equal, an equal, um, fair shake yeah. essentially to each of the parties involved, right? Which we'll link, we'll link all, we'll both, we'll link both parties' yeah. responses to each other and statements in right. the in the show notes, so yeah. that you can go and look at those yourself. Mm-hmm. You can even go do that before you listen if you really want to. Okay, so. I guess I'll just explain yeah. the situation. So in down in Georgia, there is a very influential pastor in the name of Andy Stanley, right. son of the famous Charles Stanley, if you're of the church world. Um, Andy is pastor of North Point Community Church, yep. one of the largest and most influential churches in America. Yes. He is probably one of the most... I. He is one of the most influential pastors in yeah. America, yep. and um, I've always respected his ministry. Yeah, liked his ministry. I've never really paid that much attention to him. If I'm 100 yeah. percent honest, I've like I don't think I've ever listened to a sermon by him or anything mm-hmm. like that. Maybe read a book that was required of me at one point. He's but, a really good communicator. Yeah, very very good mm-hmm. um, communicator, and. A really good writer. Mm-hmm. Read a couple of his books that I thought were excellent. Mm-hmm. Probably his most excellent book was in response to the last controversy that he was a part of, a yeah. book called Irresistible. Mm. Excellent, excellent book. But it was in response to uh, a controversy that was created after he made some comments about um, unhitching the Old Testament yes. from mm-hmm. current Christian experience and theology. Right. Um, and, and that book was essentially his explanation of that comment mm-hmm. in a very, very long form. Yeah. And I thought it was excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, so his church, um, essentially after experiencing a, what he described as starting way back in 2011, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Had been experiencing lots of pastoral concerns, pastoral concerns, shepherding responsibilities. Yes. And the main 
concern or the main things that were coming up were that they were finding middle schoolers and youth group age kids, students Mm -hmm. who were expressing in their small groups that they were having same sex attraction. They were having a homosexual desire. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what to do with it. They were scared. They were confused. Mm -hmm. They were, they didn't know how, why they were feeling the, the way that they were feeling. And they were confessing these things to their small group leaders. Right. In their small groups. It was 10 years right, uh, ago. And so what his what they were experiencing then was this um, sense of like, how do we shepherd these kids through this mm-hmm. and in this? Yep. But equally as important is how do we support the family unit Right, parents, parents in particular, as they parent their kids through these really difficult yep. situations and questions mm-hmm. in a way that honors Jesus, in a way that allows them to remain in relationship and connection with their kids mm-hmm. without just like flat out, you know, um, ostracizing them. Yep. And so they started a ministry back in 2013. Mm hmm called Parent Connect, yep, which gave parents who were having similar experiences essentially a small group of their own. Mm-hmm. And that eventually grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew, and grew to like 300-some yep. parents. I mean, understand, is, understand this is a church of tens of thousands of people. Right, right. right. That's, so, that's a... Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so as they were... As this was happening, they were saying, like, we um, we were the, this Parent Connect group as a whole. And the leaders of that were saying, like, we need a bigger resource mm-hmm. to help these parents um, navigate through these very difficult waters. Yep. Um, and so they, the leaders of that ministry went to Andy the pastor and said, could we hold some kind of training, mm-hmm. some kind of conference in order to bring perspective, help encourage parents, right? Um, uh, maybe bring some resourcing that will help them to navigate through this. Yep. And so Andy said, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Right. And so they established um, a conference called Unconditional. Yep. Which I'm assuming is meant to ex- express, you know, unconditional love for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the if you go to the website for Unconditional, the conference, the stated goal mm-hmm. of the of the conference is you will be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind. No matter the theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space. Okay. Okay. So. that That's what happened. That's what happened. He hosted a conference. Right. That came out of a ongoing pastoral mm-hmm. need and or ministry that had been ongoing two parents of LGBTQ+, um, and 
yeah. So it seems like a very natural thing to do from all of that backstory. Yep. Right. So the reason it hit the news or it hit kind of like the blogosphere, like it became a talking point was because um, Albert Moeller, mm-hmm. who is he's president, president of Southern Baptist Convention. So, and he's also he's he hosts he does a lot of political social commentary. Mm-hmm. He has like a podcast that's every day. It's like uh, you know, a 15, 20 minute podcast where he just talks about the headlines and talks mm-hmm. about like theological implications for social things. Um he wrote a article for where what was World. it? World. Um where he calls out he sees the conference prior to it having happened. So the conference, I think when he wrote that article, the conference had not yet happened. It was like no, he no, it was it hadn't happened yet. Yeah, so it hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. It was scheduled to happen. Uh, Moeller got on the website, read about the the conference, read about the speakers, became knowledgeable. What slash already was knowledgeable about who those speakers are. Moeller is a, if nothing else, a very intelligent man with a mind that has like a steel trap. He mm-hmm. seems to be constantly reading and aware of things, but he reads that and he essentially kind of calls Andy Stanley out for having departed from biblical Christianity, Mm -hmm. Um, raising concerns over the language when you stated that uh, the purpose of the conference, Mm -hmm. Moeller takes particular aim at this, uh, the quieter middle ground, Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> In particular, um, he says, and I'll yeah. quote him here. He says, um, "He says, you know, ministry leaders working through these issues in clearly biblical terms would be a welcome development, but the advertising for the unconditional conference indicates clearly that this event is designed as a platform for normalizing the LGBTQ revolution, while claiming that the conference represents the quieter middle space." Right. Um. And his his assertion behind that is that the speaker, the speaker list, speakers, yeah, um, contains number three prominent speakers. I think that I remember he mentioned specifically who he identified as clearly not holding uh, biblical or New Testament Christian sexual ethic in concern with homosexuality and homosexual practice. Mm-hmm. And so he sees that as a clear red flag warning sign that this is wrong, that this conference is about normalizing uh, homosexual practice in the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of fires that shot across the bow. And mm-hmm. that's, and it kind of, and that becomes the, at least the the spark for all of the subsequent, like people talking about it, responding to it. And the conference happens. Mm-hmm. Um Andy Stanley, on this past Sunday, if I've got my timing right, um, dedicated his church Sunday morning church services. Didn't have a traditional Sunday service and give a traditional message, but gave it uh, time to essentially just respond to that article. Um, and 
that's up on, again, all of the articles, the responses, all that's linked in the show notes. He gives what was like, I think it was like 49-minute mm-hmm. talk um, in response where he kind of outlines the history that you just gave. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which is, I think is a key important, like, part to the story um, is, you know, is that at that point, Andy kind of made visible what was invisible to a lot of people was that his historical uh, prominent or historical thread that carried them to what, to the decision to hold the conference and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, And then he kind of gave his explanation and we'll talk probably more about that. So I don't want to dive into Andy's response too deeply other than simply to say that Andy gave the explanation that you sort of gave that story mm-hmm. and, you know, affirmed, you know, conservative Christian sexual ethic and kind of, and then kind of move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Albert Moeller saw that response, obviously, and gave another response. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he wrote an article, but he did release, I listened to his podcast response. Um, and so he um, he kind of doubled down, uh, calling out some of the wording and responses that Andy used in his response. And so that's at least where this kind of stands. It's probably pretty much the end of the conversation. I don't imagine that either of them have too much more to go back and forth on. No, I don't know. I I can't imagine why. And you're also seeing like, you know, you say that, okay, Andy Stanley has a pretty big platform. Yes. He does have an extraordinarily large platform. There's good argument to say that Albert Mueller's platform is larger. Probably. Um, The Southern Baptist convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. Yeah. Um, and there are some big heavy hitters mm-hmm. in the SBC. Right. Um, they, uh, and so, and so it is obviously filtering into the followers essentially of both. Yes. Andy I, Stanley I, I'm and sure that, I'm sure the that SBC. the conversation itself is not over, but the primary, the, the primary, yes. the Stanley and Moeller, right. I don't imagine will exchange much more than uh-huh. they already have. Uh-huh. I think all the followers, the subsequent yeah. people like us will continue the conversation though. Right. So I where do we want to go from there? Yeah. So I wrote a lot of questions down. Yeah. That are that I want to kind of wrestle with. Um also recognizing that it, it's I think it's, it's difficult and I this is why I appreciated Andy's message um, the sermon that he gave this mm-hmm. past week it's difficult to divorce the conversation around it from the reason ultimately that the conference was developed in the church yes you can't divorce it from the people right. that he's seeking to care for right. Yes. That I like if I could characterize like I don't want to overly broad sweep this and say that Albert Muller has zero pastoral heart or intention, but it, it seems to me that Albert Muller is particularly concerned with theological orthodoxy and clarity. 
And Andy Stanley, I don't want to say he's unconcerned with those things, but he seems to be primarily uh, more emphasizing shepherding and pastoral care concerns over the particular um, clarity and being hyper clear and like, you know, line by line affirming kind of traditional Christian ethic, sexual Mm -hmm. ethic. Mm -hmm. And so it, that's, I think where some of the conflict is coming from Moeller coming at this from like a mm, more detached theological perspective, Andy coming at it from a more, uh, integrated pastoral perspective. Right. So, right. Um, and one of my questions, you know, one of my ultimate questions is, is like, what is the, um, you know, is this a pastoral issue or is it a theological issue or is it both? Mm-hmm. And what is the connection there? Uh, and maybe we can come back to that, but I'm not, you know, like I'm not, I don't want to come down at least at this point as saying, I agree with this I agree with Andy or I agree with um, Al or I agree with, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, What I will say is that I do feel for Andy in this situation. Mm -hmm. I feel for him because I do get the sense. I have no reason to not believe him that it, this came, this came out of a, um, the reality of the people that he's pastoring, right? That are just really confused mm-hmm. and really hurt and don't know how to proceed. And his desire is to respond in some way to those, to their hurt, right? And to their confusion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as a father of children with some non-normative issues myself. Mm-hmm. I, I like have myself been in a place of like, I'm suffocating under the weight of not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go, wondering who I can talk to mm-hmm. about these issues because they're not normal and not everyone experiences them. And I kind of just feel out on an island about yep. it. And so if my pastor was like, we're going to get, you know, like I'm going to surround you with a community of people that are experiencing the same things as you We're going to do our best to resource you with people who are mm-hmm. wired in the conversation for longer than we are. Yep. Um, we're going to take, this issue that's serious for you, we're going to take it serious as a church. Yep. That would be life giving. Mm-hmm. Life giving. Um, so I feel a little bit sympathetic towards Andy because mm-hmm. I feel like he responded pastorally. Yes. And is getting. Um, a lot taking a lot of heat from it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that 
when every time we respond pastorally, we have to do so with an absence of theological perspective. Mm-hmm. Meaning like we can't, I don't think that we can. Because people's lives are involved, I get to kind of make theology foggy. Right, or soft. Yeah. Right. I don't have to take a strong theological perspective because mm-hmm. it's a sensitive issue for people. Right. We don't, that's not being pastoral, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, being pastoral, I think, is integrating a deep care for a person mm-hmm. along with a commitment to what we believe the truth of God's word is. Yep. Knowing that the truth of God's word actually offers the most deeply pastoral response mm-hmm. to people. Um, it's just, I think it's in the nuancing of biblical truth that the pastoral heart comes out. Yeah. You know, because there is a difference between the classic line of beating someone over the head with the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And speaking the truth of God's heart and God's word into the midst of a relationship that's already been developed right? of trust and love and, um, and respect, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I, there, I, I feel some, I feel some sympathy. Yeah. Some em- or empathy or sure. Yeah. I feel sorry for Andy right. a well, little bit. And and I'll be honest, like I've never watched an Anley Stanley sermon. I'm not sure that I've read an Anley Stanley book, so I'm really very just not familiar with him. Mm-hmm. But having watched his response video, uh, my respect for him went up. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's some robustness here mm-hmm. and a pastor's heart yep. that I can really resonate with and actually respect. Yeah. You know. So, right. you know, yeah, he said something towards the end. It was like kind of his last main section of his mm-hmm. response, which was essentially, um, you know, okay, there was the history of how this came about and why we decided to do it. Yep. But you all want to know, what do we believe as a church? Right. Um. Because it would seem that if we believe that homosexuality is indeed a sin according to scripture and mm-hmm. incompatible with Christian teaching and yeah. um, you know that that there is a Christian sexual ethic and it just does not include homosexual practice, then what is it that we believe, Andy? Why are we mm-hmm. what do we believe? I thought his response was really good mm-hmm. and not one that I'd ever really stopped to consider the difference, the nuance. Cause he said something to the effect of like what we believe is really the wrong question mm-hmm. because in a church as large as ours, this is him speaking. Yes. In yeah. a church as large as ours. Yes. You're going to find people that believe a thousand different things mm-hmm. on the same topic. Right. And even a church as large as ours. Yes. You're going to find that people believe different things yeah. on different topics but or on the do, same topics. Right. But what do we 
teach. Yes. But he said, the question is not what we believe. Mm-hmm. The question is, what do we teach? Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really helpful distinction. Yes. Well, before you go on, I do think that, like, um, I read a paper. It was like, there's not very many papers I read in my degree that, like, I actively remember, but there are a handful. One of them was a argumentation for a hermeneutic of love. Mm. So hermeneutic being... Um, like a fancy word for how we read and understand a text. The lens you look The lens you look through. through. And that can be applied to the Bible. Usually when you're talking with pastors and Christians, hermeneutics is applied strictly to the Bible. Hermeneutics is also a larger discipline in scholasticism and can be applied to any text um, as a larger philosophical question. But this paper or book, it was arguing that like one of our key lenses we need to read through is with a lens of love and charity. Um, he was a professor, if I remember correctly, and he had a student who like in a lecture class said like, oh, the author of this book is so dumb. And like just decided, just tried to kind of just like ride over this author's opinion and his argumentation in the book. And the professor stopped his student. He said, would you say that to the author's face? Is that how you would treat him if he was here in the room? And so the professors, the guy who wrote this article, he is just like, can you enter into a dialogue with who you're reading? And can you choose to do so with charity, Christian charity, Christian love, seek understanding, uh, do not do not become determined to misunderstand, mm-hmm. right? And for me, that's something that's res- resonated with me for a long time, still stands out in my mind. And as I hear these three pieces, the article, the response by Andy, and then uh, Albert Muller's podcast... There are instances in all three of those where I feel like they are committed to misunderstanding and speaking past each other. Yep. Um, and and what you're pointing out is one of those reasons. Yeah. Is that like is that distinction between what do we believe and what do we teach, yes. right? And and that is a ecclesiological distinction mm-hmm. that is probably very necessary at the size of church that Andy Stanley pastors at and the complexity of that, Mm -hmm. that I'm not sure is incorporated to the way that Albert Moeller is responding to Andy's statements. I think what L wants Mm -hmm. is he wants a unity of belief within the church. Mm Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a unity of teaching. Yeah. He wants a unity of, like, ev- no, everyone must believe this way. Right. Making it clear that if you do not believe that way, you are in some way not welcome, or you are some way not in. Or you have departed. Right. From biblical Christianity. Right. It's a in, it's an out. It's, yes. a, it's that statement. Andy is seeking, very possibly because of the the nature of his ministry like and its necessity for that is seeking to figure out how to mm, 
draw line, draw circles rather than mm-hmm. lines, which is a whole statement in itself that they go back and forth over. But, um, and I don't know, like I don't have, I, I, I continue to wrestle with, um, I'm not, we're not pastors of a massive mega church. And so our philosophy of ministry hasn't had to accommodate some of the complexities of size. Mm-hmm. And I do still wonder if there comes a point at which, you know, uh, in my philosophy of ministry would not be allow me to pastor a church of a certain size mm-hmm. because of the compromises I would potentially have to make on how I think ministry should be conducted. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I don't know that I necessarily agree with some of the conclusions that Andy draws with, but I do respect and understand them, I think. Yes. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. So I didn't mean to completely derail where yeah. you were going with that, mm-hmm. but I thought that was a really key thing. Sure. So. Yeah. yeah, I... Um. Anyway, in that section right. of that message, he does outline, at least in some general terms, I, he, one, of the, one of the points that Albert Muller makes throughout all of his response is that Andy just doesn't go far enough in the clarity of his belief mm-hmm. or what he teaches. Right. And, and, um, partially Andy responds to that actually in his message where he says, my first responsibility of, um, communication and clarity is to my local church. Yes. So I like, it's really not unclear where we stand here at North point. Right. Because everyone who's here shares the teaching mm-hmm. and knows right um so maybe i'm like being a little unfair with this with his really brief explanation about what they teach because i'm sure cuz i cuz i'm a pastor and i know right. that someone could sound bite grab something that i say in a sermon and say this is all that they believe right on a topic where they haven't listened to the last 9 years of preaching that i've done here right so how could they grab it out of one thing? So with that understanding, I do think that there is some there there could have been more room for clarity mm-hmm. and going further mm-hmm. in Andy's response about what do we believe about a New Testament sexual ethic. Yeah. Um, you know. And he does like he yeah we we affirm what scripture says about marriage we affirm what scripture says about homosexual practice we we agree with Paul we agree with Jesus right we agree with the scripture mm-hmm. um but then you look at the conference and you're like how how where does the theology impact the practice right and what like what is the discernment process that is that happens when you say on one side of the coin we affirm what for instance first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 um uh or uh the essentially we affirm what the scripture says about marriage between one man and one woman yep. for life all this we affirm all that and then on the other side now we're holding a conference, mm-hmm. and if I had to, if I had to guess, mm-hmm. I would say that the 
conference speakers are actually the sticking point for Al Mohler. Prob- I think that they are the thing that was like spotlight. Mm-hmm. That they are the thing that ultimately brought the attention. If Andy Stanley would have been the one just teaching the lessons, mm-hmm. I think it wouldn't have been a thing. Right. But some of the speakers that they brought to the conference mm-hmm. were trouble. Or it's troublesome. And I, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get where Al Mohler is coming from. Yeah. That this is, this is troubling. Yes. Um, for instance, in his first, um, uh, first article, he said scheduled speakers for the event included two men who are married to other men, at least according to current civil law. Um, biographical background on speakers Justin Lee and Brian Neitzel indicate that both men are in what is now described as same-sex marriages. Um, Lee is well-known as a platform speaker who argues for the legitimacy of monogamous same-sex relationships. Yep. Neitzel presents seminars on restoring LGBTQ plus faith. Just to be clear, I do not believe that this is the quieter middle space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he quotes um, David Gushy, who is a doctor, a scholar, yep. um, who says, essentially, um, I grant that the historical claim that the Christian church has believed over the time that same-sex acts and relationships are always wrong, but the book traces his change over time to a position in which he clearly asserts that the Christian church has been historically wrong on the issue. Um, and... He and then he he quotes Gushy one more time, saying, um, "This is one of the speakers, Gushy. Yep. I am I am instead asking whether a devout gay and lesbian Christian might be able to participate in the covenantal marital sexual ethical standard, one person for life, faithful and exclusive, in a loving, non exploitive, non coercive reciprocal relationship that is the highest expression of Christian sexual ethics, which in fact a goodly number are already doing." I can find a compelling reason. I can't find a compelling reason to say no anymore. Right. So he says you can be gay and in a homosexual relationship and be a Christian. Yes. Those are the speakers. Those are the speakers. That that's their personal views. That's their that personal view. Set written books about, done other speaking events about. They were invited mm-hmm. to speak at the conference on I don't think I don't get the sense that they were given a blank platform, but that's also don't make, know, I don't right. really know. So I don't know the content of what they said or what exactly they were invited for. Andy yeah. did give some context in his response of saying like wanted them to share their stories and wanted them to provide kind of um, greater level of like wanted to I guess his stated reason for having them there was to provide uh, the parents with um, greater levels of understanding um, of what potentially their children are experiencing or what they feel. Um, And that was the main reason why he brought them there. Mm -hmm. That seems to be what Andy was intending to communicate when he responded. Right. Yeah. So, that was one of the, I think for if I had to guess that that's probably one of the main issues is like yeah and I get it mm-hmm. I really get it because I don't agree with Gushy mm-hmm. right I don't mm-hmm. 
Um, especially when he says like that, that is the highest expression of Christian sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. For me, that ends the conversation because yeah. you can't have a conversation about the highest expression of Christian sexual ethics without talking about the rightness or wrongness of homosexual practice. Right. That is within a Christian sexual ethic. Right. Or, or the calling of singleness. Celibacy. Celibacy. Yes. And, and its place in Christian practice. Yes. So, which is a very obvious principle in of scripture. Yeah. A call to celibacy as being better if you're able. Jesus and Paul both talk about it. Right. So, um, so I don't agree, mm-hmm. and uh, with Gushy, and so th- I think the question then is, huh, to what level of agreement? Mm-hmm. must a pastor have in order to allow someone to, for lack of a better term, speak behind their pulpit? Mm-hmm. Like what ends up being the litmus test of belief um, in order to like give permit, like, okay, Mm-hmm. Teach the people. Yeah, I will. I will challenge that a little bit, just because I like it's not. A, it is a conference. It's not a Sunday morning. It's not to the general audience. Um, I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. I'll just kind of make forth what I'm thinking. I don't know if I agree with this or mm-hmm. not. But I so in my uh, degree program when I was studying at Moody. Um, Loved my program there, benefited a lot from it. Mm-hmm. One of the critiques, I have a couple of critiques, but one of the critiques, particularly of my degree program, was that a lot of times my professors would hand us books by authors that we were meant to essentially wholesale agree with. So we would be handed a book and we might like agree or disagree with them a little bit, but very rarely did a professor inside of my particular, my pastoral degree program hand me a book and say, this is kind of a controversial take, but I want you to wrestle with the ideas that are in here. I did have professors who did that, but they were outside of my degree program. They were either in the philosophy department, theology department, or in a, a different department. They weren't dedicated to the pastoral department. A lot of the pastoral department was just kind of like, this is what I think is right. You should agree with most of what this book says, because I agree with it. And that was kind of the understood tenor. Mm-hmm. So, And in academia, like I very much appreciate reading and hearing all sides. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm an Enneagram nine. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. like reading and understanding mm-hmm. all of the, all of the sides. So, and there's something particularly enlightening to reading somebody and understanding uh, their thought process and learning from someone who you disagree with mm-hmm. on significant points. Uh, there's significant learning there. Uh, I think if you if you are unable to learn from people who you uh, don't agree with 100%, then I think you're going to miss out on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least my conceptualization, my if I was to guess, like if I were to put myself in Andy's shoes and say, what reasoning would I have potentially to make the decisions that he made, is I would say that there are, you know, a 
what do these parents need to learn to grow? And do they need to be exposed to people who maybe they do not agree with, but have something that they can learn from? And is there room inviting them to say, hey, I'm not asking you to come here and bring your uh, conviction maybe on theological. Again, I'm making an assumption, but Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to come and give your argument for your biblical interpretation of the Bible. I just want you to share your church experience. I want you to share what happened to you growing up, how that impacted you, and how that's made it difficult for you to maintain faith as you've grown up, or like things like that, which could be really informative. So I could kind of I could kind of see an argument there for that. And it's being directed not at a general congregation, but at people who are very much facing that reality as it was. Um and so I don't know, what do you think about that? Do, does that does that um does that begin to approach what you were saying about what level of agreement do you need to have to share uh to let someone preach behind your pulpit or do you feel like I'm making too many concessions? Um, I think that the practice of exposing yourself to people that you don't agree with Mm -hmm. is, um, is can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's a particularly wise thing to do. Mm hmm in the um when we're dealing with issues that are i would say fairly settled in scripture mm-hmm. um and while the while i would be fine with um that happening in like a conference Mm -hmm. in a hotel in a hotel or something like that yeah um my my position on the ministry of the word is that i don't i'm not going to intentionally expose the people that i'm pastorally responsible for to things that i believe are firmly established as sin in scripture just for the sake of their um, um, broadening the horizons, flexibility, right? Because right. which is the difference between church and academia, right? Because I think if you'd say, okay, does that hold water? Would you say the same thing mm-hmm. for something else that is like? Would I bring an Aryan? Would you bring <laughs> someone who who says that they do not believe adultery? is or like i'm a christian swinger (laughs) i want you to come and just hear my position or a christian uh polygamist or polyamory right we wouldn't do that no we wouldn't yeah we wouldn't that's not intellectual honesty right um and so and so no i i wouldn't I, i wouldn't do that um and in particular, with this guy, like this guy, Duffy, I don't know him. Duffy, is that his name? Gushy. Gushy. Um, he was there not representing his personal story. He was there representing what 
the 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 um his assertions in his book, mm. which a goodly number are, and I can f- I can't find a compelling re- compelling reason to say no, right anymore. So he's making his case, yeah, you know, um, and we we you know we we have dealt with similar issues on a smaller scale mm-hmm. here, which is like. what level like when does when does friendship or relationship or even participation in ministry yeah equal affirmation of their belief yes so what how how deeply can i be in relationship with a person maybe even inside of my own church how much leadership can I give them? How involved in ministry can they be while maintaining a separation from the affirmation of what they believe mm-hmm. or maybe even the what they practice, how their life is lived? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that they're does become a tipping point even scripturally speaking yeah where we're not you know that we're not to associate with certain people Mm -hmm. that bad company corrupts good character Mm -hmm. um that um that there is a um that you know that there is a a system even for expelling the immoral brother as the scripture says or even in matthew chapter 18 Mm -hmm. you know jesus is like they can be put out of community Mm -hmm. because of a a willfulness towards unrepentance yes for sin Mm -hmm. and so there and this this Said this speaks to a, a main theological value of Andy. Mm-hmm. One of the first things that he said yes. was that, listen, Jesus didn't draw lines. He drew... Jesus drew circles. Yeah. Which is really pithy. Oh, it's great. Oh, my. Everyone like, loves it. Everyone yeah. wants to be in the circle. That'll preach. Right. Um. Uh, let's go. Uh-huh. <laughs> Right. If you've ever if you've ever seen Meet the Parents, you know. Yeah. Robert De Niro talks about the the Burns family circle of trust. <laughs> you're either in it or you're out of it. Right. Here we have the Jesus circle. Yeah. Of inclusivity. Right. Is it, it true in the Gospels that Jesus drew a very wide circle to include people that the religious community of the day ostracized? Yes. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. He drew the circle wider than anyone ever had. Yeah. He sat down with tax collectors and sinners, sinners and prostitutes. Right. Yeah. Samaritans and, yep. you know. To Albert Moeller's point, yes. in his podcast response to that. Which was a very good point. Very good point. Jesus drew circles. Absolutely, he drew circles, but he also drew lines. Mm-hmm. He drew hard lines. Yeah, he did. He drew hard lines up until the point of eternal damnation. Depart from me, for I did not know you. Yes, right. The sheep and the goats, yep. as an example. Right. 
or right. the rich young ruler. What what mm-hmm. what do I need to do? Sell all of your possessions. Mm-hmm. Went away sad. Right. Right. Didn't yes. say, oh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come in the circle. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so like the narrow door, right? Or right. the narrow gate. Yes. Like, yes. The you know the narrow path. Narrow path that like, leads to life, but cr- few find it. Right. But wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many follow it. Yes. So. Those they're, are lines. They're both right. <laughs> they're both correct. Yes. Jesus does draw circles, mm-hmm. but Jesus draws just as many lines. Yeah. And the lines are always with sin, mm-hmm. repentance, a willingness to follow him. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes back to these, the speakers of the conference, are they in the circle or is there a line? Yeah. And... It's clear that Andy's willing to draw larger circles than maybe I would. Yeah. Maybe Albert Muller would. Maybe you would. I don't know. Like, um, he may have a different perspective on the sharing of his pulpit mm-hmm. than I do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that the pulpit, as a, I guess, as an, an analogy for the ministry of the word, is a sacred trust. Mm-hmm. And I think Andy is responsible for everything, ultimately. For the teaching, for the doctrine, teaching that comes out of North life of his yeah, congregation. That yeah. comes out of North Point. Yeah. I don't know how you get around that, Andy. Like yeah. you might not be you might not be the person that says the words all the time, but you're still responsible, even if you're unaware of what's being said. Ultimately mm-hmm. you are responsible. Yeah. You are the leader. So So yeah, I think that there's a I think that there's a significant issue there for me, mm-hmm. and I think that um, I think probably it'd be stupid to 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 think that Andy didn't calculate that. He obviously did. Yeah, and and obviously he calculated. You know, it was a calculated risk that he was willing to take. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I like if you listen to his talk, his primarily I like I I you know I I see things from both perspectives and but one of the things that I think is you know powerful about Andy's position is he's like what we've been doing has not been working right. He is like he gave some very compelling statistics up front, which I know statistics are you know. 95% of statistics are just made up. Um, but, um, you know, if those, if, you know, I imagine, I don't imagine he made those up. I don't mean to say that, but uh, statistics can be convenient. So he said something along the lines of like, what, 70% of gays have left their faith or something mm-hmm. like that. Like there was a large Stag- number. The numbers are staggering. The numbering numbers are staggering. The amount of people who now live in an alternative sexual lifestyle who at one point had Christian faith and have now left it because of that sexual lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this isn't good. What's happening isn't he, he sees it as a problem. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do we need to do to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I think he has I do think that like in one regard because it's it's the if I th- if I try and put myself in the frame that he's in and he's operating in this frame of parents 
and he makes it very clear that like, and it's, I, I agree with him. It's a th- wisdom that you ultimately, you cannot control what other adults do. Right. And that's where he, I think a lot of the ministry that to the parents of people who are LGBT um, mm-hmm. comes in mm-hmm. and he's like, you cannot convince, control, coerce. I think he, you know, some sort of um, alliteration that he had there. Um, he's like, you ultimately cannot control what your adult child chooses to do with mm-hmm. their sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately their choice. Yep. And so, I, I, some of the language he uses is that of kind of boundary drawing, clear di- differ- self differentiation mm-hmm. of saying like, I'm not responsible for what they do. I'm responsible right. for what I do. And he's saying, let me do things that maintain relationship right. yes. rather than destroy relationship. Yes. And so, and I don't think he ever leaves that framework. I think he stays in that framework for pretty much his entire talk. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of tricky about Andy's talk is because Albert Muller is talking about, <clears throat> he's talking in a large philosophical, sociological context. I think Andy, even if you listen to his talk, aside for a handful of comments, it's almost entirely directed towards his local church and his publishing of it is mostly just letting people listen into it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't very often that he turned and he talked, I, I, metaphorically I mean this, not very often that he metaphorically talked to the larger audience that wasn't in the room. Right. I don't think Andy would have done that response if people in his church had not been affected by the public outcry. No. He, he, he largely frames, he's like, the reason I'm giving this talk is because you my congregation, not Albert Muller, not the news pundits, whatever. I'm giving this because you are confused. You're calling the office. Some of you are leaving. Some of you are angry. Some of you are shocked. And he didn't quite explicitly ask for forgiveness or apologize, but he seemed to make an admission, at least implied, that there was some misstep or oversight in the fact that they had not clearly communicated their, that this was a ministry that existed. Wasn't already. Already. For it, 10 years. For 10 years. Yeah. So it was something that was at the church, but they hadn't made it very publicly known. It seems that they kind of, you know, connected people to the ministry quietly. Um, and so large amount of people didn't know this was going on. Mm-hmm. And then they felt shocked and confused and weren't sure what to do about it. And he perhaps, I don't, he doesn't quite explicitly admit guilt or responsibility mm-hmm. there, but it's kind of implied that there was a misstep in not having that public. Mm-hmm. But there, so there's that question. And this is, this is where, and we will probably have to uh, turn this into a part two if we want to dive at, really dive down into this rabbit hole. But um, do you like where where does that principle? Because I agree generally with that principle of like I cannot control what other people do. They are responsible for what they do. If they, I have my sexual ethic. I've told them about it. I've taught it. But it's ultimately their responsibility for what they will do with the truth, right? That is a good thing. Yep. Good, it's a good thing to have in mind as a pastor, as a preacher, as a parent. Um, it's great. 
at what point does that become permissive and deny church discipline, accountability, and so forth? Mm-hmm. And Andy seems very, again, seems, from my perspective, seems to be willing to allow uh, a wide variety of choice, despite explicit teaching. Yeah. And and some of that is potentially the dynamic of having such a large church. Yep. But is that a negligence to Paul's command, do not associate with such a one? Right. Right. That's that's where for me, as yep. much as I can empathize with Andy and some of the things that he says and the framework that I think he's operating from, I get to that point. I'm like, I don't know. At what point, you know, is someone coming to the church, listening to the teaching and saying, yeah, he disagrees with me. And like, yeah, I'm hearing the truth, uh, but there's zero teeth, zero enforcement of it. They're powerless to do anything to um, not coerce, but hold accountability Mm -hmm. to speak prophetically, to call forward into obedience. Um, They have zero power to do that in my life. I'm just going to occasionally hear an uncomfortable message once in a while. Mm -hmm. And is that, that's a line that has been, I think, crossed or not drawn. Yeah, I have an agree. It's probably, it's the, it's the fodder for part two. Um, Yeah. Because, yeah, I think I have a note here to talk about the difference between a the progression that someone goes through in their discipleship mm-hmm. and how what, what is the expectation of the speed at which they move from point A to point B or even point A to point Z. Yeah. In order to make, in order to be in our church communities, mm-hmm. what do we expect of them? Like mm. you walk through the door, and three steps in, you better be repenting of every sin. You better be walking away from every decision that you've made, no matter the consequences. Yep. Or you cannot be a part of this community. Yeah, I, you know, and like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, so like, I like, know so, exactly so, what so you're you saying. have. So you have a you know a homosexual couple that walks in mm-hmm. to your church, and they have two kids. They've right. adopted. Right. Legally adopted. Legally married. Legally married. Mm-hmm. As according to the state, whatever. And your response to them immediately is you must repent. You must get divorced. I don't know what's going to happen with the kids, but that's not the pro- that's not our problem. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, or you can't be in, you can't be here to listen about the message of Jesus. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know what you expect us to do. That's right. just what the Bible says. Yeah. Or, you know, so like, <laughs> I wait, was, what is the, what, what are we asking of people? Right. What are we asking? There was a, I was, cause I was curious. I was looking, I was trying to find, uh, because church discipline is something that's rather vague in modern church, at least like. Or I, just, it just like, it's not a, it's not, readily practiced. Not readily practiced. Yes. I did find people who readily practiced it. I was listening to their podcast about it and their description Jeez. of how they they practice it. They one church they it's a freaking um, mess. Let's just say that. Yeah, they they get up and they read a list of people who are not allowed to come forward and take communion every time they do communion, and they list 
the sin. Why. They list the sin that they are being held accountable for and why they cannot come to communion. So I'm like, ha, huh, um, I don't know, but the, you know, what do you like? I'm like, I don't think that's uh don't think that's what Jesus meant. Um, I, you know, I don't think that that is clearly marked in scripture. Um, I don't know. And then I've got like an interesting question around like Jesus, cause Jesus statement in Matthew 18, mm-hmm. where he talks about, um, he says, treat them as what tax collectors and, um, unbelievers or yeah, I don't remember the exact can't word. remember exactly. Uh, but the thing that I was thinking as I was reflecting on this text, I was like, well, wait, how did Jesus teach the, uh, treat those people? He had dinner with them. And so I was curious about the interpretation of that passage and mm-hmm. applying what seems to be the immediate context of what Jesus Jesus seems to be saying, treat them as not one of you, but then Jesus' behavior was constantly to bring them closer into community. So yes. uh, to bring them closer to himself. himself. That's where transformation happens. Right. Yes. Right. So Anyways, those are all yeah. things I want to talk about. Yeah, well, one of the things um, that Andy says is like, hey, if your theology does not allow you to be in ministry to mm-hmm. someone else, you might want to reconsider that theology. Yeah. Right. So this is a complicated... That's a compl- It's a complicated thing. Right. But I think it's important to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's where we'll start next week. Yeah. Start with this idea of like to what level of discipleship or sanctification mm-hmm. must a person attain to in order to maintain membership in your in your religious community? Yeah. And to when 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 is there exclusion from community? Right. At what point? At what point is there exclusion to community? And what are the consequences of that? Mm-hmm. What is the hope of that? What are the consequences of that? Yeah. Because I think those do, there is a biblically described hope. Mm-hmm. Um, my contention is that people are never actually rooted in community when that church discipline comes forward. So because they're not actually rooted, they just leave. Yes. And the hope is never realized because community hasn't been established in their life mm-hmm. first. Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yep, I I can I can see that train of thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, thanks for listening. If you haven't yeah. uh, if you haven't heard about all this that's going on, and you want to um, be a part of the conversation, you can go and um, we'll and we'll link all of this in the all of this is linked it'll, in the show it'll notes. all be linked in the show notes. Yep. So you can read it in the description. Um, yep, the unconditional conference website. Andy's response, Al Moeller's response, Al Moeller's re-response. Yeah. And uh, you can join the conversation with us. As always, if you have any questions uh, or comments, please leave them. Uh, you can leave them in the show, uh, in the comment section of the YouTube video, if that's what you're watching. Or you can always text us at 716-201-0507. Uh-huh. And that's our The Uncut Podcast text line. And uh, we'll try and deal with those questions accordingly. Like, rate, subscribe, share, all those things, if you would. It'd be really helpful for us. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one. We'll see you then.